नमस्ते द लाइफ डिवाइन द बुक एंड द लाइफ डिवाइन द जर्नी सो द लाइफ डिवाइन द बुक वी हैव ऑलरेडी हैड एन ओकेजन टू टर्न टू एंड एज वी नो इट्स इन टू पार्ट्स इन द फर्स्ट पार्ट श्रीविंदो लेज डाउन फॉर अस द वार्फ एंड वूफ ऑफ क्रिएशन वॉट इज दिस क्रिएशन हाउ इट इज बिल्ट what are the elements that comprise it this is the basic theme of part uh, part 1 book 1 then in book 2 we see part 1 and part 2 in part 1 he reveals to us what is the nature of our life here in ignorance and then he shows us that how this ignorance is tending towards a greater knowledge and then in part 2 of book 2 he reveals to us what is life in knowledge and then how humanity is progressing towards it through what doors and eventually what is the great consummation towards which creation is moving so as we can see this is a whole journey the road map of journey like we need to know the road map when we are undertaking a great journey tremendous journey so this what shubindu reveals to us completely in the life divine so where does the journey begin in fact we might as well ask where what distinguishes truly our humanity which is uh, emerging out of the animal state so what really distinguishes humanity the distinct sign the distinct sign is not that we are bipeds apes are almost so the distinction distinctive sign is not even that you know we think possibly there is a rudiment of thinking subconscious thinking you can see the way crows plan things the way wolves they plan and attack you know there is a lot of meticulous uh, thinking that goes on uh, even feeling elephants they feel for their uh, you know family they they hold social rituals they bury the dead many of the things that we call as characteristically human are found in higher animals so what distinguishes um, humans from others another we can, we may say that we can speak but it's a different thing that we speak a lot of nonsense whereas animals though they take out sounds it's only when they need it and they communicate very clearly <laughs> with the sounds so what distinguishes is the human aspiration so life divine and we may say the hallmark of humanity is aspiration without aspiration we are as good as dead so what is this aspiration that shurbindo reminds us of which is our true inner truth and that aspiration is always for perfectibility of our individual and collective existence um it could be perfect bliss perfect truth which, which if they were there is no possibility of error perfect love perfect uh, unity a state of perfect unity peace that is undisturbed by any event at all and bliss that is not dependent on anything but what we have today is just the opposite there is agitation there is trouble not today means not today today but right since the time you know human history is a history of wars and strife there is a very beautiful passage in savitri a dim long preparation is man's life a circle of toil and want and hope uh, so this is how human life has been another place he says that uh, though it has developed but life still is the same in beast and ape and man so in worm and ape and man so it is true at one level but there is a deeper truth and that's where the aspiration in man to transcend this first formula of creation of mind life and body so this aspiration has taken two roots one is to search for truth through the method of science its extreme end is that there is 
you know, there is up to a point we can go, but we cannot go beyond. There is nothingness. And it, the other formula is going up the way of the ascetic. And he also goes to a point where he eventually declares that there is nothingness. So beautifully explained in the story in the Puranas where uh, Shiva manifests himself as a huge Jyotirling. And he asks Brahma and Vishnu to discover what is the end. And as the story goes, Brahmaji goes up and Vishnuji goes down below. And at the end, there is no end to it. So uh, that is not what we are seeking. We want the formula of a perfect reconciliation of heaven and earth. We don't want to uh, find a truth which at the end is nothingness because it's an absurdity of sorts. Out of nothing, this whole creation is uh, emerging. It's a logical uh, impossibility. Not that everything that is logical impossible may not happen. It can, but it's a uh, much better chances, much greater chances are that because we aspire so, because there is thirst in man for perfection, possibly there is a state of perfection. And that's where we are revealed, uh, Shubhinder reveals to us that the Vedantic seers, by the methods of Vedantic knowledge, they discovered a state of perfection within. And this perfection, when they had found, they found that from that perfection, creation has emerged out of that perfection. But then creation is imperfect, but that state is a state of perfection. So they tried to explain it in various ways. And one mysterious word that we keep hearing is Maya. And Shubhinto reminds us, Maya is not a power of illusions. Maya is a power which limits the infinite, gives it a finite form and name and shape. That's what Maya does. And that is because the original plan is Ekoham Bahusham. One wanted to become the many. So this much he makes clear. And what is the substance of which this creation is made? This creation is made of the same substance which is the divine. That is the unique part. So Sat, Satchidanand. So Sat has become matter. And Chit Tapas, the force of the supreme, the divine force, the divine consciousness, that has become this struggling life that we find here. And the super mind, which is the divine mind of complete gnosis, omniscience of God, one with omnipotence, that becomes the human mind, fallen here, blind, struggling, ignorance. And what about the soul? The ananda, a drop of that ananda resides in a being as the soul. So now we have the picture, the whole planning that we are miniatures divinities. But because we are miniature divinities, we are always striving to regain that infinity. Hence there is the struggle. So in ignorance, this struggle takes the form of desire and ego. So ego wants to expand into infinity. How does it do it? It only knows that take this, take that appropriate, everybody should think like me, everybody should feel like me. Ego wants to stamp itself on the whole creation. Everything should be according to my wish, my plan. Why didn't God consult me? It's a big crime. He should have asked me what I should do, sir, at every step. Moment he should ask, but he doesn't ask. <laughs> so, um, this is the, our first thoughts when we turn towards, you know, when the ego tries to seek infinity. So it seeks infinity by expanding itself, aggrandizing itself, which is what the titan does. Asura, and he implodes because that's not the way you can create. You have to discover that infinity and you have to allow for the diversity which is there in infinity because the original plan is unity in diversity. So then after a while, desire also tries the same thing. It uh, strives to possess everything that it, it can lay hand upon. And again, we discover that that is not the way. It only leads to a never-ending cycle of pleasure and pain, the dualities of life that we experience, good and evil and everything else. Now, when we go through this class, this is the first uh, level. 
class in ignorance and much of humanity labors in it a time come when we wonder what is this game about <laughs> what is this constant uh, you know that taramaji um, jhula the giant wheel on which you are spinning so what is this about so that's when something within us began to become awake the psychic being in man but shubindu introduces us uh, that to us he gives us hints and glimpses but it comes later so he says first we must understand there is there are two levels at which life operates one is the life in ignorance and second is the life in knowledge and there is a world of difference between the two life in ignorance is like somebody who is suddenly finds himself in the middle of the football field just wearing that shirt and shorts of a team whatever team it be he doesn't know the rules of the game he doesn't know what is what he doesn't know what card signifies what he just sees the ball in front and when it comes he has to kick and obviously he gets elbowed out he falls and he starts blaming who has put me here he doesn't even know it's a game it's a joy it's a delight but he doesn't know the game he doesn't understand the game uh, he sometimes rushes at the referee because he he is unaware of the rules so but slowly knowledge grows and then you realize that well this was not the game this was the practice game the real game begins now and then when he has practiced in the school of ignorance that's how the mother uses the term uh, school of ignorance which comprises of pain and suffering then he says now i'll play so he is the playing the same game exactly the same game but now he is enjoying every time he is elbowed out and he falls he says okay doesn't matter i'll get back red card flashed doesn't matter i am going to play this game very well he may win or lose the teams win and lose they understand that life that's not the issue the issue is to play the game well so what is this game of life about so the game of life well it's very simple it's through this process that we are playing we are thinking it's winning and losing that's our problem <laughs> but what is something that happens in both the teams both win not like alice in wonderland all have won all have come first why both teams win ask did both of you enjoy yes both of us enjoyed they enjoyed the game ask them that well did you grow in stamina and strength yes both of us grew in stamina and strength did you learn by experience yes both of us learned by experience now you see if you remove this duality aspect success and failure then everybody is enjoying everybody is growing in delight of existence everybody is growing in knowledge through that process of game and everybody is growing in strength stamina force this is the game about it's a growth of human humanity towards his divine possibility so in this game we have all kinds of things including the presence of something evil in any game you will see who oh, there are players who will keep you doing langadi to you and you know you have foul play foul play you shout but he has done the foul play even if red card is shown you are on the ground but if you really look carefully i am giving this game analogy because uh, one way when we look at life it looks like a battlefield another way it's a game so every time you fall what happens you become conscious there are two responses we may give one is of fear shrinking now that's the response human beings have been giving and then they start looking for moksha this is a terrible game i don't want to play it but another response is let me learn the rules of the game let me play well let me become so conscious that even if the person is trying to do a foul play i have become conscious enough and i don't fall this is the reason why there is evil is permitted in this creation of course the game is at a much mega level than a small football game and that's why it's 
tremendously delightful and tremendously dangerous. Shubhendu so at one place says delightful, dangerous world, and uh, another place he says because it is dangerous, it adds to the delight. He uses the word the adventurer soul takes delight in this. Supposing the game was not adventurous, you just came here and you know everything was easy. You you will feed yourself on all the fried food and everything, no disease. because there is no disease everything is wonderful then people will just lie down on the couch why because there is no illness no problem nothing and then you'll go back no there is danger stalking at every door <laughs> it adds to the day this you cannot get in any other world that's why the mother calls it the great adventure and this is not just an adventure the adventure of adventures the greatest endeavor man has ever undertaken when he is done with all the possible adventures he seeks this ultimate adventure which is to discover the spirit the reality the truth that supreme the creator of whom we are portions parts part and parcel so then a time comes when we begin to there is an urge to move out of this state of ignorance towards knowledge and this journey goes on through many lives and there are many planes many actors in this play seen and unseen see you are playing the game football here but there are many spectators who are adding boosting your morale or who are pulling it down so there are in this game cosmic forces gods demons and many others who are participants incognito at the same time as we grow through this game we, this game continues through many lives so the, the purpose of rebirth if there is evolution as the vedanta says and especially if there is evolution towards a divine unfolding even if there is evolution you have to bring in rebirth otherwise uh, i mean there is no other logical necessity to imagine god is sitting out there only with a you know summary statement that tell me how many sins he committed and how many good deeds he committed then he'll be a very poor god you know he has many other beautiful things to do <laughs> and if all he is god as shubhendu reminds us i mean he is his work should be to remove from us the tendency to sin rather than you know to punish us because that's what he reveals in the old doctrine of rebirth that's not about um, sinning punishing uh, rewarding virtues it's about growth of consciousness so as we grow things emerge and he starts removing them step by step and a long passes through many lives takes place where unconsciously all this is happening then a time comes when we can engage consciously we have by and large begun to learn little bit rules of the game and we want to learn more so we get admitted in god's uh, wonderful academy which is called yoga so it is not a space his academy is virtual academy virtually real you could be anywhere and yet you you are in god's academy the moment you are picked up there is the call and he says okay enter my academy now a conscious yoga starts and in that yoga the same evolutionary process is picked up and given a much much vaster scope and pace so in this process in his academy now you know there were two levels at which we learned ignorance and knowledge in his academy there are three levels at which the game you know one has to Uh, learn this great art or engage with life so first is the psychic transformation the triple transformation if one just reads this chapter it is wonderful before um, entering his academy there is an entrance exam yes we must you know after all there has to be so there are four uh, doors through which you can enter 
So if you are a religious tendency person, so okay, you go into the religious section. Fill your entrance exam. He will see whether you are religious just for satisfy me, satisfy me. Or this religious tendency took us to the urge of the beyond. There is something beyond and you begin to start loving, you begin to want to engage, no love. The Godhead who has been the giver of all boons. There is another hall in which exam is going on in philosophy. So there also whether this philosophy is really seeking for truth or it is philosophizing for the sake of philosophizing. So that's why there is a difference between religion and religionism. And there is a difference between philosophy and philosophization. So people engage in a lot of debate discussion. They are um, come back again. <laughs> but somebody who is seeking truth and therefore is stretching his mind to the utmost. So these are the people truly engaged in philosophical search and say, okay, you come in. Then there are people dabbling with occult. Oh, there are forces behind nature. Let me try and understand. Even science is dabbling with occult. But occult again, you reach a point, one level of force you uncover. There are others. There are others. So at some point you say, where is the source of all these forces? Then again, come in. I'll take you to the source. (laughs) And then there is of course... The fourth door, time to time there are glimpses. We are still in the house and there are windows which open. And uh, time to time we have a flash. Oh, this was something so beautiful. Ari, I went to the samadhi. I felt like this. So a time comes when we are ready and we say, okay, all these glimpses are very fine. Please open the door also. We want to now engage with the full thing. So you'll say the door is open. You have only to step in. You know, one of mother's messages, very powerful message. You'll find it in 94, the last music Sunilda composed. The door is open. You have only to step in. So when we step in, then, Gungat ka pat re, tohe milenge, the psychic. <laughs> Out of the mystic cave in man's heart, the heavenly psyche must put off her veil and step into common nature's crowded rooms and take the charge of breath and life and speech and act. So this psychic transformation, where the psychic, instead of the ego, right now the ego governs and controls life, in place of it, the psychic governs life, and there is an orientation to the right and the light, in short. So always the psychic will always, is the honoring guide, it knows, you know. But this right and light is not uh, the way we understand the moral right. Psychic may take you through a passage, which may appear like, you know, uh, not you know it may scandalize the strict moralist but for the psychic being that is the path which one has to take and it takes if one really follows this unerring guide Shubindu says at one point in the synthesis of code it is better to follow the psychic even if it seems to be uh, an error to the rational mind than to follow the so called light of reason but of course these are all with riders Every vital impulse should not be mistaken for psychic guidance. (laughs) And then he describes what is this really psychic guidance, how to distinguish it from all kinds of caprices, etc. And then a time comes when the psychic begins to govern us and there is a very beautiful, as he describes, causeway of the gods. Nicely we are moving on a lane where there is no traffic. So all the traffic is going on, jostle, all. This is a different lane on which we are put. That ambition lane where crowded lanes, we are out of that. There is a causeway of the gods where you can go nicely, coolly, wonderful. Now, if this is what we want to, it has been done already. But we want, we are not happy just with the causeway of the gods. We want to participate, to become one with God in, in His uh, being.
to become one with God in his uh, being. So we want to grow into that. How are these gods laboring in creation? And we need to understand that. We, we want to participate in, the God, in God's labor. So there comes a time when he says, Okay, are you sure? Yes, we are sure. So then comes the spiritualization, the spiritual transformation. So in spiritual transformation, suddenly we open up to a vastness beyond measure. So from the individual psychic, psychic transformation is an individual transformation. Uh, beautifully in Savitri Shubhinder describes, a camp is pitched, a camp of God is pitched in human time. So, O soul, it is too early to rejoice. So then we enter into, from that state, the centers begin to open. All the cosmic knots begin to open and then we enter into the vastness of God. Till now it was, uh, you know, causeway of the gods. Nice, uh, wonderful state to be in. But then we start engaging in the vaster universality, the universal movement, which is necessary for transformation. So that, what does it mean? It means now the grief of others becomes our grief. Also the joy of others becomes our joy. So Shiva and Krishna fuse become one. In us too, Krishna uh, seeks for love and joy. In us too, Shiva wrestles with the world's grief. So that becomes a much larger movement and Shurabindu describes it becomes like a world personality at the overmind level. Of course, world personality has nothing to do with who's who and New York Times and all that. <laughs> it's an inner state where one is growing into the cosmic consciousness, global consciousness, not of global times, but global consciousness. That is all the inverted reflections in the Asuric mind of something like a truth. So when you read Global Times, <laughs> you understand it has nothing to do with global, it has something to do with only local, only local. But local which wants to, like the Asura, expand and become global by stamping its own sign on everything. But that's an aside. So uh, that's next step is uh, spiritualization where we start discovering new modes of knowing, new modes of feeling. All these begin to change, new ways of being in life, engaged with life. And a time comes when we reach that point where the consciousness becomes more and more cosmic. So your single thought begins to reverberate in the world. Your feeling, it becomes a cosmic sentiment. It has um, action much beyond your immediate uh, surroundings and the people you engage with. And then comes the next um, level, which Shurabindu says in the Life Divine, there is the hope for the future, the supramental transformation, which is the penultimate. Supramental transformation literally means divinization. Supermind is... The divine's consciousness with which he engages with the world. It's his, his creator aspect. So if we go, don't go through the super mind, then we can go into the divine. But we will never understand creation. So it is the consciousness of the creator which bases itself on truth. And because it is the consciousness of the creator, it, it shares the, not shares, the original omniscience and omnipotence of the divine. And it is through this consciousness, truth consciousness, that the divine has planted the real idea into this creation everywhere like a seed. It is this real idea that emerges in us as aspiration and finds its fulfillment in the supramental transformation. So it is the, with the super mind that the, uh, there exists the right relation, the way the divine connects with the many. He is one, but he connects with many by his infinity. If he is one but a point, as we paint him, he cannot uh, connect with all. 
But when he is one and infinite, then everything is possible. So, supermind means infinity of the divine. It means eternity playing in time. So, we understand now the original rhythm. It means that we know the right law and right relation of every creature. And therefore, there is no standard format. Touch his feet. Uh, supramental, on the way even, supramental children will not do that. Okay, they are becoming a bit, bit, little, little, little truth conscious. So they won't follow these norms. They will follow from their heart. If they feel like respecting, they will do it. Sometimes unexpectedly. <laughs> and if they don't feel like, they may say, Yeah, uncle, kya uncle hai? <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is of course it's still in ignorance, but because the supermind is acting, what it is doing is all the artificiality, hypocrisy, and all these things, falsehood which was governing the world, it is just beginning to displace it. It has this kind of action, it's beginning to displace this entire thing by its mere presence, and it wants to make room for the action of truth. Meaning, thereby, now all our relations with, with each other. With uh, birds, beast, God, plants, earth, water, sky, everything, elements, is purely based on ego. If you really look at it, it doesn't require any philosophy. Just a sincere look. Who are the people with whom we try to connect? Fayda uh, said, let's note his number. Politician and uh, big, you know, <laughs> industrialist. This, this is how we relate. Paid card though. Because immediately we need it, that's it. Let's turn it. So, people are nowadays talking about, you know, Earth, Save Earth campaign. Save human beings by changing them and everything else will follow. You want to save Earth without changing human beings? Impossible. That's exactly what Shurabindu proposes. That you cannot hope to build a perfect world with imperfect human beings. People will say lip service because nowadays even, you know, having an NGO which is engaging in Save Earth movement is a big thing. Lot of money and lot of name. Look, this fellow is working for saving Earth. You cannot save. It will be nice sloganeering, that's all. But the day you change a human being, that day you are sure that Earth will change. See, that's how we grew up like that in the Sanatan Dharma. This kind of tradition was there when you grow up. Dharti Amari Mata, you know. Just live with this consciousness, earth is my mother. And if you are sincerely living with this truth, it will change a lot of things. So, supramental transformation will be a radical change of consciousness. It will be divine's look upon things and not just a look but action upon things. So, it contains knowledge and will and they are in unison. It's not like knowledge is there but will is, you know, the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, it won't be like that. So there will be a perfect action, fully adapted to the entire play of forces, revealing the truth of each moment and it will not be a standard format, which is how reason does it, but with each person it will be different. That's why we cannot understand the divine action. Because we expect him to do the same thing with everybody, that only death does. The divine is different with different people. He is very partial to Arjuna. Excuse me. Well, he is, he doesn't care. Karna is lying on the, he doesn't say, oh, no, no, we must be fair play. His fair play is only one. Truth should 
manifest. If you are standing in the way of manifestation of truth, you are washed away. If you are aligned with the truth, you may have hundred defects, but he will keep aligning you. You have this aspiration. So this is what we will see this passage toward the end. He speaks about the, so the Gnostic being will, will develop like this. It's different from the rational being. That's why we cannot understand God's play. He, and with the same person, one moment he will act in a certain way. Next moment, depending upon how your inner change takes place, his action may be very different. So this will be the way Gnostic beings will deal with life. So it will be an intuitive relation and not a rational way of standardizing everything. Very intuitive. So there will be the emergence of intuition having a much freer play in humanity. Naturally, it means certain dangers. There are a lot of pseudo-intuitions, things which may mimic. But then humanity has to pass through this passage. That's what Shivinda describes in uh, you know, the human cycle, the subjective age. But you have to take that risk of perils of the passage. When monkey became banned, it was a very dangerous passage. The most ignorant creature on earth and the most helpless creature. So the same thing will happen here. But nevertheless, there will be many several layers, attempts of humanity. But eventually we will cross the border. So finally he says that, well, this is how humanity will advance and the dream of the divine life will be established upon earth. Here he leaves it at a cryptic close. And why? Because the mother is not yet in the forefront. And the supermind is yet to manifest. And yet he closes with such a wonderful hope. And we'll just read that a little bit. I'll just read two passages. The first passage in book one, the very first passage. And the last passage in part two of book two. And see how they connect. So he starts with this. The earliest preoccupation of man in his awakened thoughts. And... As it seems, his inevitable and ultimate preoccupation. For it survives the longest periods of skepticism and returns after every banishment. Civilizations have come and gone. Pralayas have come and gone. We don't even know who existed, who didn't exist. What was the dress of people, what was the language they spoke. But one thing we know that they all aspired or the same thing. And that is the credit of India that it has kept preserved that aspiration in the mind of the race. 10,000 years back, the rishis roamed in the forest. Same aspiration as today that we have. Asadoma Sadgamya, Tamsoma Jyotirgamya, Mrityur Mamritam Gamya. So, the same, it returns. Civilizations, empires collapse, but the aspiration survives. It is the real idea. Is also the highest which his thought can envisage. Whatever man may have attempted, tried, this is the highest. It manifests itself in the divination of Godhead. The impulse towards perfection. Divination of Godhead. There is divine. You deny with 10,000 logics. At the end, you know, <laughs> this divination of Godhead to discover him, this is something which takes hold of the human intelligence. The impulse towards perfection, the search after pure truth and unmixed bliss, the sense of secret immortality 
Everybody believes that he is immortal. That's why we put up today webinar 520. Yes, we all will come. Sense of secret immortality. <laughs> A logician, strict logician. How are you sure whether you will go or not? Try doing any amount of probable calculation. There is no certain way that science can predict the next moment. That is the weakness, helplessness of our knowledge. Anyways, the grace is there so we can say, <laughs> by the grace. The ancient dawns of human knowledge have left us their witness to this constant aspiration. Ancient dawns, the rishis and the rishis say before us, forefathers. And even today, today we see a humanity satiated but not satisfied by victorious analysis of the externalities of nature, preparing to return to its primeval longings. And this, you know, this satiation and not satisfied, it reminds me of an incidence in childhood. You know, you reach platform almost last minute and those days trains, it was not like, you know, that perfection. Now, so, so you see a couple of people, you enter the train. Then you you're a bit unsure, you know, uncomfortable. Then you come to no no, this is not the train, that train. Now people rush out and go to the other train. So why I'm giving this example is you know, fifty years back, hundred years back, dream destination, America. So everybody is rushing to America. And you know, they are buildings, it's nice houses, everything is there. Wonderful. Now they see all this is there. Where is our soul? Oh, we left behind in India. So let's <laughs> <laughs> Everything was packed except this thing. Why? Because it won't. It says you go. I I can't get nourishment. I mean, this is a bit <laughs> exaggerated, and my friends will pardon me. But there is a truth in it that the way India nurtures your soul, nowhere else in this world you can find find it. This I'm sure all of us who have gone and lived know it. So then now what is happening? Oh, this was not the train. <laughs> <laughs> so we are rushing back. So satiated but not satisfied, returning to its primeval longings. The thing that we are finally looking for was there. So it's okay, it doesn't matter. Garvapsi is fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so satiated but not satisfied by victorious analysis of the externalities of nature. Perfect the system. Externalities. Are light First time I just stepped into a room and there was light and I said, Oh my god, somebody left the switch off. So Adat there is no switch. So I'm wondering what happened, what so then as I move out, lights go away. So it figured I had to use my intelligence combined with common sense that okay, this is a sensor. I said, Wow. Something very nice. Victorious analysis externalities of human nature. Which is good. But then you want that light. Which hears the footsteps of God. So you know. The earliest formula of wisdom promises to be its last. God, light, freedom, immortality. Where do we find freedom? Not if we just make a, you know, liberty. Freedom is... The soul's mastery over nature. This is freedom. Even in bonds it is free. That's what the Gnostic being will be. In the world, of the world, but yet free. Transcendent. So that is freedom we are seeking for. Not this freedom where you know I can do a lot of things sitting in my room. That may be a slavery. So he is reminding us of that. 
Then, of course, the last passage. If there is an evolution in material nature, now he has gone through the entire journey. Yes, there is an evolution because the real idea is buried, because the divine consciousness has become ignorance and has become this inconscient. So from that nescience, it is emerging step by step. So, if there is an evolution in material nature, material nature we all can see, it is something evident. See means it is now proven beyond, beyond doubt. Uh, processes we know uh, somewhat. In the days of Darwin, it was still a speculation, but most people like kind of agreed. Now there is evidence. So there is, you know, he is using the word, if there is an evolution in material nature, and if it is an evolution of being with consciousness and life as its two keys, key terms and powers, this is also evident. With each step of evolution, there is a greater consciousness, mental consciousness, before that animal consciousness, and life out of material creation. These two are the terms. This fullness of being, fullness of consciousness, fullness of life must be the goal of development. If life has emerged, we should live fully, not half-heartedly. This kind of weak need and you know that illusion is philosophy. Let's go home. Make this the home of the Lord. Wonder home of the wonderful. So this um, life divine is a tonic for the soul. So he says <laughs> fullness of being. We must be fully. Not this ego personality, not even enough to discover the individual soul. Our universal cosmic being, the transcendent being, we are that. And we must discover it in every which way. And that is only possible, these three terms together in the supramental. So he says, fullness of um, being, fullness of consciousness, not this half mental consciousness, half blind, struggling ignorance. But fullness of consciousness, which means full knowledge and full power. We are meant for this. Fullness of life, not subject to death, disease, incapacity, must be the goal of development towards which we are tending and which will manifest at an early or later stage of our destiny. Because this is the aspiration, it is itself a sign that it has been sanctioned. The self, the spirit, the reality that is disclosing itself out of the first inconscience of life and matter would evolve its complete truth of being and consciousness in that life and matter. It would return to itself or if its end as an individual is to return into its absolute, it could make that return also not through a frustration of life but through a spiritual completeness of life itself in life. If at all one wants to return, let's finish the task. Let's create this wonderful life divine. And then say, okay, now I want to be just with you. It's a well-deserved and well-earned. Not like, oh, nothing can, let's go back. That's not what is manhood. That's not what is expected of us as children of the divine. Our evolution in the ignorance with its checkered joy and pain of self-discovery and world discovery, its half-fulfillments, its constant finding and missing is only our first state. That we are well aware. <laughs> so, it must lead inevitably towards an evolution in the knowledge. A self-finding and self-unfolding of the spirit. Very consciously then we engage with this. A self-revelation of the divinity in things in that true power of itself in nature 
which is to us still a supernature. So supernature is of course the divine Shakti and instead of living in this ignorant nature, more and more we have to allow ourselves to be run by the divine Shakti. And the entire yoga is to prepare the nature instead of this normal ignorant nature so that it is the divine Shakti which can move us in every cell of our body and in this large universe and every cell of this universe. Every atom of existence. Namaste. We can have question answers. Uh, namaste, Alukda. Namaste, Manu. So, um, um, in terms of, uh, you know, since the time Life Divine was written, uh, since uh, last uh, 100 over years, in terms of reconciliation of matter and spirit, um, could you um, touch uh, briefly about that? I mean, what is in the experience that we can kind of relate to, say, the Life Divine? Uh, especially in the last couple of years as we kind of begin to see early signs of uh, subjective age. Thank you. So, um, what has changed? Let's just broaden it a little since the time it was written. Uh, though, of course, it was written 1914 to 1919. Shrabindo revised um, extensively, especially part two, uh, book two, and even in that part two. So that was extensively revised in late 1930s. I think 1939-40 was the last revision, and then uh, it was published. Uh, at one point, Shrabindo did say that, you know, uh, he wished to revise book one much more extensively. But then, you know, because other things had occupied um, the time and space, so therefore he did not do it. So this one part, and you can see the difference. Actually, if you read through book one and uh, book two, you can see the difference, slight difference. It's like many things are held back, which you would like to uh, bring out. So this is one part of it. This solely with regard to book. Now, what has changed? Yes, many things have changed since then, which indicate toward this evolution next. So, um, subjective age, of course, started a little early. But even before that, uh, from Shurabindo's perspective, to let's start from there, that, well, the supramental manifestation took place. Even before that, the mother took charge of the sadhana. So, many things began to change. So, that time when the live divine was written, it was still a possibility. Though Shurabindo in the live divine closes it as inevitability. It is the inevitable logic of things. So, if um, today Shurabindo has to say, he will say, look here, look around, it is manifesting. Uh, as to science, Shurabindo in 1920s when Puraniji asked him or someone had asked him, what are the signs that the world is ready for the supermind? And he gave a few signs and one of them was that knowledge has expanded. This what you were mentioning partly about the matter and spirit. It is bursting beyond its seams. And, you know, there is no other choice but to go through that current toward the other side. So this, of course, we know it's this process started in 1900. And today, as the mother said, man, uh, science has already entered the occult world. It is already there in the life divine also. Science has entered the occult domain. And that's why there is an urgency for evolution. In fact, Shurabindu says it's an evolutionary crisis because science has placed at human hands, disposal, uh, things which are... Uh, Tremendous, like for instance, you know, uh, it's not about Isaac, um, Isaac Asimov's novel only, but look here today with, you know, artificial intelligence now coming up. 
Now, what is artificial intelligence? You know, you have everything which human brain can do, it can do much better, but it has no heart and feeling. You've created a technological asura. Now, imagine if it's in the mercy of an asuric being, what devastation it can do. So, the urgency of, you know, creating, of evolving across the chasm has really pressed. And this the mother repeatedly reminded even after the supramental manifestation. I think it is it is in volume 9, so must be 58-59 talk, where she says the urgency of the spiritualization of mankind. And she says it is enough if few can become pure gold. And then she says that, you know, time presses. Shobinda used the word, if only man consents to be spiritualized. And then she added, time presses. And I must add, she says, time presses from the human point of view. So what has changed is this part is about the knowledge explosion. Then he said, the number of abnormal phenomena. Why? Because when a great force is beginning to descend, um, human consciousness somewhere feels the touch and senses it. And it begins to behave in ways which is not normal. So the norm started breaking. And I think yesterday I did mention that when you know number of people who are going mad began to increase, the mother said, yes, it's a sign because that new force is upsetting the whole balance of the human world. So you see again revolutions began to appear. If you look at the previous century and even this century, it's a, it's a century which has been uh, not this previous and the previous to previous one. So uh, from late 1850s or 1860s, 70s, you see there have been revolutions suddenly you know before that there was a status quo and suddenly many things got thrown out imperialism sar even what replaced it is beginning to go away so so many massive changes which took place because uh, there was something you know human consciousness was receiving but it didn't know how to respond to third uh, sign which he gave was that the descent of vital forces which of course was the first and second world war because uh, they knew that the supermind is, see, before uh, <laughs> human beings come to know, the gods and the uh, titans, they come to know. So, the titans try to prevent it because they know earth is our field. Earth is emerging out of inconscience. So, matter is their hardest fort and they won't let it go. So, even when inner change takes place, so much difficult to work on matter and, you know, uh, physical body because it's their fortress. So um, there was the descent of these vital forces. Uh, fourth, he said that the rise of men who veil tremendous vital influences is another sign, which also we see the springing up of you know so many uh, gurus and movements all over. And then, of course, the awakening of the spiritual thirst in mankind. So there were signs which he could see. Subsequently, the mother added number of signs. For instance, women in large sections of humanity. Women uh, who were considered to be always, they have to be subjugated. Suddenly, you see what happened. The change took place. Very silently, she changed something here. And its repercussions were felt everywhere. So this women and youth, um, youth unrest... And women beginning to, um, you know, say that, look, you you know, we don't want to be either subordinated by men. And now they are beginning to say and not become like men either. Because their men are very poor, uh, you know, examples to imitate. Uh, okay. So they have to be themselves. So this rise of the eternal feminine in the race, that's another thing which has started. More and more women figures have begun to take the lead. You see, people don't even note it. But there was a time, 100 years 
as you said 100 100 how many when did america get the voting rights for women uh, i mean they they couldn't vote forget about standing in election and if you look at it people speak of india as you know uh, at one time developed country and you name how many women presidents are there outside or prime ministers and we had so this is something you'll suddenly see at a point of time in india in pakistan in bangladesh there's a point of time all three had you know feminine prime ministers so these are signs which went unnoticed then in medical science again there is a burst there is a bursting uh, people have tried now you know we are moving in a circle of medicine 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 now there is a search for other ways because people are sick and tired okay you are only changing the medicines you are increasing the medicine is there another way now you know there is a return to religion there is a return to old systems that is not the solution but for a moment it is helpful to break us from that impasse in which human beings are caught but the right solution is to go ahead and discover the spiritual ways which is what will happen eventually the the thirst for spirituality has become so massive that world over it was unimaginable many of us may not have experienced now 100 years back as you said 100 okay 125 years back or so 1893 You see, when Swami Vivekananda, when he went to Chicago, what was the condition? He was looking for um, if he could be allowed to speak, and he had to get a letter from somebody there that yes, he is a genuine person. He can be allowed to speak. Nobody was willing to get the letter, and the same world, Chicago Congress, religions, they were not ready to admit him. It was surely an intervention of grace that I forget that man. who gave a letter who was in one of the committee members and then he was allowed to speak this was 1893 today indian swamis are welcomed huh? abroad <laughs> for good or worse that's a different thing altogether but now it is like we want this knowledge that india has look at the full circle that Swami Vivekananda was the first, you know, in a certain sense. Of course, there were others, but he was the first who was unwelcome. Not only unwelcome, hooted literally. Oh, India, see beggar. This, this, they don't have dressing sense. Till he spoke, and when he spoke, the world heard, and still hears his words still reverberate. When Shurbindo was writing the Arya, there was some subscriber. in us some people and you know what was the problem they were saying that uh, you know all this is fine we want a method give us a technique that's all <laughs> and sure with the <laughs> this was asked to him in the evening talk today this we are having these uh, you know on beautiful uh, you have organized something so beautiful on writings of shirobindo and all over the world you know this has become so there is a world of change and many changes subjective age uh, started in 60s because the rational order was broken down effect of the super mind so people said we want alternate worlds alternate experiences we had this world is a trap huh? so it started with counter culture movement post modernism they started you know uh, experimenting with drugs to enter into some other domains experimental music all counter culture all the norms were broken and now what is started is going to be a new norm 30 years back we could never imagine 40 years back 
डाइवोर्स बिटवीन हजबेंड वाइफ माई गॉड इन इंडिया इट वॉज लाइक वर्ल्ड एज कोलेप्सड एंड लिव इन इफ अ गर्ल एंड बॉय स्पोक टू इच अदर इन अ मोहल्ला पक्का कुछ चल रहा है दैट्स इट टूडे आई हेयर सो मेनी पीपल यू नो पीपल लिव इन वी मे थिंक वी कैनॉट अंडरस्टैंड बट द ओल्ड ऑर्डर इज ब्रोकन डाउन दिस इज अ काइंड ऑफ सब्जेक्टिव एज वे पीपल आर एक्सपेरिमेंटिंग एक्सप्लोरिंग दे आर लिविंग इन ए डिफरेंट स्पेस एंड दे बिलीव दैट वेल यू नो ऑटो एथनोग्राफी दैट ईच पर्सन इज राइट टू अंडरस्टैंड इज लाइफ इन इज ओन वे सो दे आर मेनी मेनी थिंग्स इंडिविजुअलिज्म because the psychic being has developed uh, thanks to this pressure so there is a great degree of you know in india at least individuality which was uh, missing you know everything was wonderful except this individuality there was a lot of social pressure so it's very very many signs are there very obvious even the physical stature is changing cockpits had to be changed because women pilots uh, you, you see that movie the first pilot so there the uh, problem is that the cockpit she is not tall enough to engage in the cockpit right today they have to change the aircraft design because women and men both have grown taller physically there are changes that are taking place people have discovered that genes can mutate by your thought and by your you know Uh, will and feeling so plenty of things plenty plenty i mean one could go on and on that have happened which are very clear sign of the emergence of the supramental truth people don't use the word that doesn't matter actually it's it's the same thing people call the divine by many names that's not really important the important thing is that that truth is establishing itself and wherever people are ready they are opening to the new consciousness and they are surging towards a greater light uh sir madhavi prasad ji is asking uh, that you mentioned freedom in today's talk and could you please brief a more on spiritual freedom in terms of sri aurobindo how spiritual freedom could be achieved in today's world of aspiration towards materialistic goals and not for spiritual growth thank you so much so uh, the freedom as it is understood uh, by the um, you know as i said they atm both normally the way we understand freedom is the wish and the freedom to do whatever i we feel like and not knowing that we are nothing but puppets moving on a wheel we think that we are doing what we feel like but it's not we who are feeling like a thinking puppet is this mind of life so there are forces which press upon us forces of ignorance and we are nothing but a play tool so this is one part you know this is the way freedom is understood in a certain context but in india freedom always meant so raj then samrajya the rule self rule literally the rule of the self within the greater self the atma jai that's how he was understood so a person who governs his nature by the strength of his soul and neither by outer uh, norms and forms which are you know uh, basically governed by at best by reason at worst by vital impulses so he doesn't follow that he follows the strength of his soul the voice of his soul uh, this is what the, the trend toward that is coming up but that is what freedom means but that means first we must discover our soul if you have not discovered the soul it is better to follow the voice of reason and the rule or law of the land uh, law of the land has any ways to be followed 
But when we have discovered the soul within first step, then only we can strive towards spiritual freedom. That freedom means first thing is that we are unaffected. You know, as I mentioned, he is in the world, of the world, but above the world. Meaning thereby, see Krishna's life is a wonderful example. He is playing. Even he says, Shakuni, come, we will play your favorite, Dyut Krida. He is playing. He is Sri Krishna. Any moment, that play also is an action. And any moment he can, you know, get up from the play and be himself. So that is true freedom where even when you are in bond. So spiritual freedom has signified two things. One is to be away from the world. So you have found an exit and you are away from the world, moksha. But moksha in the real sense meant freedom from ignorance. You discover your soul. So you know you are not this mind, heart, body, life. So what you do next? Traditionally people said, if you discover, why do you want to be here? But in Savitri there is a very powerful line. What is that freedom which feels not free in the bonds that cling? Even in rags I am God. Fallen I am divine. So this is next level of freedom where regardless, you know, a king is a king. Even in a prison he knows himself. So that is the state in which one is fully aware of the work, the mission and then one enters into the circle of ignorance. Not So it's not the conditional freedom that I'll be away from the world and therefore free. But one engages with the world, enters the world, but always there is something in oneself which is free. Always free. That is the point, the apoi in French, you know, the point of support which keeps one free. But at the same time, one doesn't enter just for the fun. One enters because there is a conscious work to be done here in the unfolding lila of the divine. So one engages and when one engages in the world of ignorance, there will be a lot of wounds on the heart, body, mind because they still belong to the world of ignorance. But the soul is free. But like a Jivan Mukta he has entered. But after that, after the Jivan Mukta, transformation. So now we have three ideals of spiritual freedom. One is freedom of the soul from the circle of ignorance. And that is what is traditional mukti. But now when one discovers it, one level is the earliest level. I will quit creation. I will quit the game. Yes, one is allowed to do that. But what was the meaning? What was the big deal? God will say, why did you go? <laughs> so this is one freedom. Second is jivan mukta. Like Janak. Of course, we see Shorabindo during the you know Aliput trial and before that. Jivan mukta. He engages in the world but is inwardly free. The ideal of the Gita. And the third is transformation where not only the soul is free, but every part, mind, thought, feelings, heart, life, the lower vital, the physical, subconscious, all of them are freed from the clutch of ignorance and are divinized. That is takes place by steps and stages and in different people it is working in different ways and you know there are perhaps not fully finished product but some are near completion some are because that's a collective process it cannot be an individual transformation alone so these are the three ways to understand spiritual freedom the other freedom is actually no freedom it's an illusion of freedom yes uh, abhijit chatterjee ji if you want to ask something please go ahead yes alugda i'm immensely grateful for uh, the wonderful narration, the inspired talks, glimpses of this great book. 
just like to know uh, you said like you know that the breath and speech and act everything will be governed by god or super mind when does that stage come and number two the titans and the and uh, you know uh, the asuras if uh, you know are they also going to are they also progressing towards godliness uh, okay yeah. this is a wonderful question yeah so first is when does the stage come when breath and life and speech and act are uh, under the divine governance so it's not a sudden transition from one to the another but a gradual transition so as the psychic being begins to take lead uh, to an extent uh, there is a discernment which begins to awaken and eventually the full psychic emergence brings a perfect discernment true bhakti unconditional surrender love for god faith etc and a psychic intuitive discernment about uh, one's own life as i said causeway of the gods then it is only when the spiritualization begins the lid opens and you know uh, forces of higher consciousness begin to descend that slowly step by step the speech action life begins to become a rhythmic flow of the divine so of course straight away we may not catch the original cadence but at least we catch some far off glimpse if not near krishna hearing the flute but a far off flute whose melody begins to draw us and begins to tune our uh, as i said speech and speech and breath and act breath literally breath and even the heart beats begin to tune to that touch so this is the gradual process yes as to the asuras part of the important part of mother and shurubindo's work was uh, one is converting the asuras in fact they say in one of the letters shurubindo says and mother has spoken extensively about it that they were some of them there are two kinds of one is of course uh, general term asura as it is used in the gita so there the path is different they go through but there are four original asuras who were purva devas so they were the gods who fell so we'll see it in you know milton's poem also we'll see it in uh, satan's and all this conception which are there in christianity so what happens to these asuras they had fallen they were started with a good intention they were uh, basically uh, beings who emanated from god they were the first four beings who emerged from the divine because there were no asuras then and then they started each started beginning to take it that it's me who is god there is a truth in it but then the other part of truth is that everything is god and all are god so that was that subtle error so when ravana said am brahmasmi is saying truth that's why he could you know manage but he forget that all is god every in everything there is god so he fell down and so these beings who fell down which is there in puranic story of jay vijay and one of the part of the work of the divine is to take them back in fact it is said that buddha Uh, was an avatar of Vishnu who came as Maya Mo. This you have been those words, uh, you know. In in Puranas, he is supposed to be Maya Mo, Vishnu's avatar. He, Purana doesn't talk about Buddha uh, among the ten avatars, and it is Buddha is supposed to be uh, there to take the asuras away from the creation. So you see, Buddhist appeal is very little in within India, which is its land of birth. outside because anatmavad you know and all that although buddha is not that he is love and compassion incarnate but that's how it is and he is understood and people you know to take away from creation it was a kind of uh, veil that the divine put uh, and you know manifested himself so this is uh, one aspect of you know 
asuras being taken out of creation but mother and shuru bindu have taken a still uh, next level the transformation of the asura conversion of the asura meaning thereby the asura of darkness the four asuras will be converted into a being of light so we see that in the story of lucifer so the being of darkness gets converted in the being of light the asura of unconsciousness apsmar in shiva puran that we find shiva says i can't destroy him but i can ride over him that's why with the nad you know he you see that nataraj he is dancing over apsmar apsmar is the asura of unconsciousness he was affecting even mother parvati so that story again uh, he can be conquered but you can't transmute him he is still there any time the dance is out of rhythm and he will cease so this is the asura of unconsciousness will change into original consciousness then asura of suffering see in human consciousness there is a taste for suffering even spirituality we want to you know suffering god gives us suffering so that he can uh, we can remember him what a you know horror he must be to give us suffering to <laughs> draw us back to him i mean <laughs> god hai ki some you know <laughs> creature of horror show so it's not true so now this need for suffering this joy in suffering willful attraction of suffering must cease from from humanity and that impulse also is taking hold and then there is of course uh, the asura of falsehood or death in savitri it is shown as death as the final bedrock but he is the asura of falsehood uh, falsehood means he falsifies everything all the values so in divine vision samdarshi but what does death understand by it okay i'll come whoever you are i'll take you samdarshi is inverts all the divine values love inverted here love seeks union so i'll forcibly unite i'll possess i'll devour so he falsifies all the great divine values he calls light a darkness so typical action of the asura of falsehood is oh god no 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 it just man's imagination this is real that's why the gita says ya nishas sarva bhutanam tasya jagrati sayami that which is a night to the mortal creatures is a day <laughs> for the wise one so he has inverted all the values perverted and corrupted them he is the last fellow to change so of course the mother has said that two have been converted already the asura of unconsciousness and darkness has been converted and the other two death there is a incidence where Uh, there is a vision she describes where she speaks about literally shooting him so uh, death dies you know as in savitri what does it mean does it mean that physically will stop dying no but death's hold death is the last bastion of ignorance it puts an iron wall and you can't see beyond the death of death means now we live in that vast infinite consciousness so that possibility has opened for man and there are human beings who are entering into them that state and for them death ceases to exist that also in the life divine shobindo reveals that when you enter into the infinite and the eternal consciousness there is nothing like death and then finally the asura of falsehood he said uh, he is the most trouble maker the you know the naughtiest student of not naughty student he is the you know spoil sport of everything so he has told it seems to the mother this conversation is recorded that i know you are going to be victorious but before i surrender i'll do maximum that i can do create chaos 
And the mother smiles and says, okay, you may try. Now why did she say try? She could have just destroyed him. So mother says, because human beings are so much under his influence, that if she destroyed the asura falsehood, humanity will be destroyed. You have to just look into ourselves and see where all falsehood is penetrated. So it's captured us like this. So before that, there should be a section of humanity which should begin to escape from his clutch. So that's where the truth consciousness and all this is taking place. At the same time, his conversion. And he has gone to what extent? Mother describes that. Uh, and other thing is when you give freedom to the asura, that is the fastest road to his collapse. It's like he grows bigger and bigger and implodes suddenly. So he went to that extent that mother said that, you know, uh, he took, almost took the form of Sri And there is a description, one of Nalnida, where he came to him as Sri uh, form. And then he was about to bow and he saw the feet and he saw this is not Sri because he told him, touch my feet and said, Sri will never say so. And then he knew he is the Asra falsehood. And then the mother, he came to her and started saying, you must atone for all the sins. See, there is a description in Savitri, in the black, toward the black white. So, what is the sin? The sin of creation. Why did you create? You see, there are people who are fully steeped in falsehood. Creation is for delight. But see, they will say, blame God. Why did you create at all? We must know it's the voice of that being. So, he wanted her to atone for the sin of creation, for the sin to be. And then she saw him. And then uh, she could have very easily, you know, it's for mother, child's play. He says, I let him off. So, the disciple asked, why mother? Because, you know, after all, he had taken the form of Sri So, she, she said, I know it is his days are numbered. So, at that point of time, and of course he says that he has multiple eliminations in the world. He says, well, his, his fount of strength is cut off. But just as when a tree's roots are deprived of nutrition, the leaves are the last thing. The last thing will be on top, you will see that it's withering. But from below the sap, that has been taken away. That was her work of transforming the subconscious and the inconscient. It's described in great detail in Savitri, in Savitri also, but in Mother's Conversations agenda, where she speaks about transformation of the inconscient, the general inconscient, the mental inconscient in human beings, and the cells through which she entered into the inconscient, because the living cells have emerged out of that, and then she has, you know, transformed it. So it's a question of time. One can see it happening. Sudden radical conversions of people whom, you know, one had never expected. And uh, consciousness has definitely grown upon this earth. This idea that death is not something which is a must. This idea has taken hold of humanity. Even science has accepted that death is not a must. The urge for truth, look at it like 30-40 years back. Things were much worse but they were in wraps. Now that is burst open. Everything that is hidden stands exposed. Each insincerity of nature, once thy defense against the eye of the master and the light of the ideal, now becomes a gap in thy armor and invites a blow. <laughs>
So it's the action of truth on falsehood. It's the last thing to change, but it is also changing. World over, things which were hidden are emerging. That itself is a sign. Yes. Thank you so much, Alok sir, for uh, clearing our doubts and uh, explaining to us the concepts in such a great clarity. And uh, with this, we have come to the end of not only this lecture, but the this module, which is based on Sri Aurobindo's Life Divine. And the next module will be in July, and it will be based upon Savitri, and Alokda will be taking all the 15 lectures. So with this, we have come to the end, and uh, now we will observe a minute of silence, and then we can call it.